every one of us, every day, take risks. Small risks, big risks, and they all varies, and we don't think about them because we do them almost automatically. Every time you step out of your door, you're taking a risk. <laughs> every time you get in the car, you take a risk. Every time you get on a plane, it's you taking a risk. Every time you make an investment in the market, is a risk. And we all take risks. Often don't think about them. At any point, any of these risks could fail. And yet, there is one kind of risk that is absolutely guaranteed never to fail. It is the risk of faith, because it's guaranteed by the Lord Himself. And yet, very few people who truly, deliberately, intentionally, and willingly want to take that risk of faith. That is the risk of living generously. That is the risk of investing oneself in the work of God. That's the risk of sowing seeds generously so that it might produce a hundredfold. It's the risk of fulfilling God's purpose in your life and God's plan for your life. You see, risk analysis is about costs and results. And business people know this. They understand that. But faith risk is confident of the outcome. Please listen. The degree of faith risk that you take is directly related to the level of your trust of the master. Amen? Some time ago, I was reading this article, and it's really kind of impacted me. It's about what they call now extreme sports. And I'll give you an example of what the, what the article said about these extreme sports. You see, snowboarding is risky, but it's not as risky as skyboarding. What's the skyboarding? It is you snowboarding down to earth after jumping from a plane in a parachute. That's risky. For example, mountain biking is risky enough, but cycling down a snow-covered mountain slalom course at 75 miles an hour, that's really risky. And I was reading this, and I thought, most of us, most of us watch these people only on television, right? I mean, we are sitting there in our overstuffed recliners and couches in our living room, comfortably. Who is taking more risk? Let me illustrate a little bit more so that you can answer it properly. Here we are, most of us. Look at these people who are taking risks, and yet, in their risk-taking, we call extreme sports, they are actually keeping their body fit. Uh, they have a lower level of stress. Their lungs is very efficient. <laughs> While the couch potatoes sit and let their blood pressure rises as they watch television. And the arteries clog up and the internal stress mounts, just watching television. So the question, back to the question, who is really taking more risk? Well, the same happens with Christians. 
Christians increasingly want to play it safe. Increasingly, we want to play an armchair Christianity. We are continuously sitting back in our overstuffed pews in the church, warming them up, and letting few take risks. Now, I want to submit to you that the spiritual couch potatoes are in greater danger than those who are out there taking risk of faith. Armchair Christianity may appear to be safe and secure, but it destroys us from the inside out. And then we could reach the point where we become cynical, critical, and skeptical. And Jesus tells us about such a man who thought that the Christian faith is a spectator sport. This man who took the term spiritual couch potato to a new low level, not only belittling his stewardship, but he became cynical, critical, and skeptical of the Master. I hope you already have turned with me to Matthew 25, beginning at verse 14. But before I get to the text, I want to emphasize something very important here. Very, very important. Living generously is very different from performance in the Christian life. Living generously is not buying your way into heaven. Living generously is not buying your way into God. Living generously is not earning points with God. Because living generously is an attitude of the heart, not an obligation. Living generously is a lifestyle, not a competition. Now we can look at that text, having made that clarification. I believe the Lord would teach us four things from this parable. First, the stewardship we have, the serving we do, the scrutiny that we will face, and finally, the surprise blessings that awaits us. Each one of us, every single person, young or old, rich or poor, we're all given a stewardship with your name written all over it. It does not belong to somebody else. Nobody else can use it. It is yours. God gave it to you with your name on it. Not two of us have the same stewardships. Could be members of the same family have two different stewardships. Not two people in a church have the same stewardship. Not in quality, not in quantity, and not in kind even. And so please, please, please stop comparing yourself with others. That is the kiss of death for your effectiveness for Christ. God is only looking to you individually for practicing and exercising your stewardship. The gifts that He gave you, the opportunities that He presents you, the situations in which He places you, all of these are different from one person to another. All of us have been given a stewardship. All of the three servants were given different amounts. The first two who trusted in the word of the master, who took his, the word of the master seriously, who took him at his word, they were given two different amounts to invest. They return two different amounts. And yet, the thing that they both had in common is that they double whatever 
they were given. They doubled it. The master did not require five from the one who has two. You see, here's the thing. People miss this. Our God is a just God. Our God is a fair God. Our God will not expect from you what He expects from others. And so the question is, how are you using your stewardship that He gave you? The stewardship He gave us, and He gave to each one of us. No one could say, I don't have any. No one. The stewardship we have. Secondly, the serving we do. These first two men represented true faithfulness, true faithfulness. And therefore, their serving was with great joy, not feeling of duty. It was not drudgery, but it was generous living. It was one of delight and joy. And they came back not feeling they had a burden or a chore to fulfill or a drudgery or sweating it out and saying, oh, I've got to be faithful. I'm going to try to be faithful. I've got to live generously. When I make it, I'll be generous. No, 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 no. You miss the point. It becomes second nature to you. And that is why each of them doubled the capital, doubled their investments. They both gave back equal amounts to what they received. They doubled it. The problem comes when you try to compare your stewardship with somebody else's. Don't compare your stewardship with another. And even then, the problem pales in approximation to what the third guy did. I mean, he spent his time complaining, grumbling, fussing, and fuming. (laughs) He spent his time complaining about the unfairness of the master and how unfair he was, and why wasn't he given more, uh, what hard life he's got, and how bad things are. Uh, You know what I'm talking about. Someone said, they said, the person who's busy pulling on the oars does not have time to rock the boat. And I say, amen belongs here. (laughs) If you are serving with whatever talent you have, whatever gifts you have, whatever stewardship you have, without of joy and a desire to maximize your stewardship, it's a clear indication that you love God with all your heart, your mind, and soul. If your reaction is, well, you know, I can't do much. I don't have much. To, I don't have many gifts, and I, I can't accomplish anything. Or I am just barely trying to keep my head above water. I got news for you. You're in danger of drowning if you start thinking that way. You're in danger of drowning. You see, the stewardship we all have, the serving we do, thirdly, the scrutiny we will face. There's something here probably you may have missed, just in case I want to make sure you don't miss it. (laughs) In this parable, the Lord did not give them the exact time that the master is going to be away. He didn't say, look, you you start working here, I'll be away for a year, two years, ten years, twenty years, whatever it is. The time is not mentioned. The length of time he's away is not mentioned. Do you know why? Because it's irrelevant. (laughs) It's irrelevant. 
What is important to know is the day of reckoning is coming sooner or later. When the Master said to the first two, well done, good and faithful servants, He was commending them for their attitude of generous living, not their performance. No. Performance belonged to the Pharisaic folks. But do you know why? Do you know why he was commending them for their attitude? Because had he commending them for their performance, you know what he would have said? Much done, good and faithful servant. Much done. No, 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 no. He doesn't say that at all. You say, Michael, how do you know that? Well, look at verse 23. Good and faithful. What's good and faithful? These are character traits. (laughs) Not something I do so that people can notice me and then say, oh, look at him or look at her. No. No. It is the attitude of the heart that the Master was commending them for. Here's something that always boggles my mind every time, not only in this parable and and several others. As I read the Scriptures, I go through the Bible every year. There's something like this makes me stop. And I begin to think, Lord, Lord of glory, the God of power and might, the God of the holy, righteous, almighty, all-powerful God of the universe is commending His servants. Weak as we are, imperfect as we are, and yet our attitude of faithfulness is commended by the Master. Not only that, but I believe with all my heart, He is the one who gives us the power to be faithful. Without His power, I cannot do anything. And yet, He praises Him for it. He praises Him for it. Not long ago, I read about a sign on the door of a manufacturing plant that went something like this. If you are like a wheelbarrow going no further than you are pushed. You need not apply for work here. (laughs) I couldn't agree more. That should be on top of every church. Now, here's a nugget that I have never found in the accounts of Jesus ever condemning anyone for a bad investment. Only condemn them for no investment at all. (laughs) Think about that. Think about this as you read the accounts in the gospel. He never condemned anyone for a bad investment, only for not making any investment at all. He gave these different talents to these three people, and when he gave it to them, he didn't say, oh, here you go. Keep it to yourself. Play it safe. Don't take risks. Uh, he didn't say, sit on it. No. He said, use it. Invest it. Grow it. <laughs> but here's something else about the third servant that you should not miss. This third servant does not represent the atheists and the agnostics and the reprobates. He does not. promise you, he does not. He recognized the master's ownership. He did not take it and spend it on immoral lifestyle. He did not even use it for selfish pursuits. He simply did not trust the Master's Word. He did not take Him at His Word. He did not trust in His promises. He disregarded His stewardship. Beloved, listen to me very carefully. This third man represents so 
many of our pure warmers in many a church today. They may enjoy the spiritual environment. They may enjoy the fellowship. They may even enjoy church attendance on occasions. And they may even be telling people with pride, I am a member of the X, Y, and Z church. They may even enjoy some sermons. Not here. Not here. Nobody enjoys a sermon here. You're not supposed to enjoy the sermon. You can enjoy a hot tub, but not the sermon. If it is a biblical sermon, if it is the Word of God, it's got to convict you. It's got to challenge you. It's got to make you move from one point of glory into the other. Enjoy movies, concerts, plays, entertainment. That's what you're supposed to enjoy. Not a sermon. These folks who are fellow travelers with Christians, in reality, they have never surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. If that represents anyone in this place or watching around the world right now, I want to plead with you, repent and repent now before it's too late. What distinguishes the first two from the third is that first two joyfully invested everything. Everything. The five invested five, and the two invested two. Invested everything. The stewardship we have, the serving we do, the scrutiny we will face, the surprising blessings that awaits us. Over and over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus taught that in the visible church, there will be wheat and tares. In the visible church, there will be sheep and goats. In the visible church, there will be always the true, genuine believers, faithful believers, and the counterfeit ones. Oh, oh, I know, and you know that sometimes outwardly it's difficult to tell the difference. Uh, Outwardly, it may be difficult to distinguish between them outwardly. They may look alike, and outwardly they may even appear to be doing the same things. But those who are not true are unproductive. And here is a divine principle that you must never forget. It's a divine principle from the Word of God. Those who are counterfeit and refuse to repent are going to lose everything. Everything. But those who are true, faithful stewards, are going to gain everything. A lot of people say, oh, it's unfair to take the one and give it to the one who had more. God is very fair. He's very just. And His Word is a warning to all of us. Jesus said, anyone who leaves anything of value, anyone of value, even family members, for my sake and my kingdom's sake, not only going to be blessed in this life, but for eternity, will you take God at His Word? I think each of us, only you know deep down, if you're a joyful servant or just a religious consumer— Only you know that. And I can tell you one thing. The words of this message can serve as a wake-up call 
to call some to repentance. Turn to the Lord now while you can and begin to experience faithfulness and generous living. Or these very words of this message will serve as a testimony against you on the day of reckoning. That's why I plead with you. I tell you the truth and I tell it bluntly sometimes, but I hope I always will do that because my greatest desire is for you to know Jesus, to love Him, and to serve Him with all your heart. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.